0: I've just been informed by my dear wife on the way up that I need to remember to smile (laughs) seemingly I get quite a stony face on me when I'm discussing serious things Uh, so remember I'm smiling on the inside guys all right inside I'm happy and jolly good morning Uh, welcome to the service if you're visiting with us Uh, You're especially welcome. But I want to talk about uh, quite a serious subject this morning. It's quite a serious challenge for believers this morning. Turn in your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Jude. Jude is the single chapter book just before the book of the Revelation. So if you look for the Revelation and work backwards, you should stumble across Jude I say that because it's probably a book we don't spend a lot of time in. We tend to ignore. Uh, it's not that we ignore it, we overlook it because we think because it's only 25 verses long, that it really doesn't have a lot to say to us. Nothing could be further from the truth. Especially today. So uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter or let you or uh, the whole book or let you do that for yourself but there's three verses I want I want us to look at and I want us to unpack and I can and let's see how we can apply it to our life the first three verses of Jude read Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James and them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied beloved when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints let's pause for a word of prayer heavenly father as we Stand before your book this morning, Heavenly Father. I am very aware, Lord, that uh, this is your word. And I'm very aware, Heavenly Father, that these dear souls gathered here, Lord, don't need to hear from William Campbell. They just don't. They need to hear from you. They need to meet from you. And, Heavenly Father, I'm aware that you're the only one that can minister through God the Holy Spirit and through your word. So as every heart's need is revealed to you, Heavenly Father. So I would ask that you would minister to every heart's need. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I don't know if it's come to your attention, but our world has changed. Our society has changed. Our culture has changed. It could have been 60, 70 years ago as a believer witnessing to the unsaved, we could cite to the Bible. And people, although we've never ever been a country that has been gung-ho for God, there's no such thing as a Christian country, there was a time in Great Britain and in the West that there was a cultural consensus that the God in heaven was the God of the Bible, that the Bible was true, And that Jesus Christ in some way, shape or form died for our sins. That cultural consensus has changed dramatically. And I'm not here to rail against it because it's a fact of our life. What I want to do this morning is look at how we deal with it as believers. See, what's particularly galling for me is that we're all to blame. Christians, religion in general, Christians in particular. In this world today, you've got to be respectful of every single religious belief except Christianity. It's open season on Christianity. And particularly if you profess to be a Bible believing Christian, and we'll touch on that here. Then you're the worst of the worst. And here's why it's galling. Have you any idea the impact that Christianity and Judeo Christian thought has had on the Western world? Now, I'm talking about the entire Western hemisphere, Europe. Great Britain, United Kingdom, North America, Canada, Australia. Do you understand that we take it for granted today that we have individual liberty, that we had freedom of uh, thought, that we have freedom of speech, that we have freedom of political persuasion, that we have freedom of religion? Do you understand that is uniquely Judeo Christian? Uniquely. It's us that brought this here. Do you understand that education, which is now in, in the West a criminal offence if you don't educate your children? Do you understand that's a Christian worldview, universal education? When those mental Presbyterians went into Scotland, every area they opened a church, they built a school. Because they held absolutely that the individual is responsible before God and the individual needs to know what their Bible says. And if they're going to need to know what their Bible says, they're going to have to be able to read. Universal education is uniquely Christian. Parliamentary uh, democracy Controversial figure, Cromwell. If it hadn't been, Cromwell was a saved man regardless of what you think of him. I like him. But regardless of what we think of him, Cromwell was a saved man and you can read his testimony. But parliamentary democracy, as faulty as it is, let's just leave it at that. See, the alternative is the absolute rule of kings the absolute authority of a monarchy or an aristocracy. But it was Christianity, it was Judeo-Christian thinking that that brought the idea that the individual should have the right to vote. Medical care. And this is something that's going to shock you. The idea of uh, healing the sick Hospitals. That all comes from a a, a Christian perspective. That we should care for people who are less fortunate than ourselves. Social reform. Those Victorians that that we laugh at. Social reform was driven by Christians. Clearing slums. Proper housing. Wages for people. It's said of the original Labour Party that, that it owed more to Methodism than to Marxism. Now the Methodist church has lost its way. But the Methodist church was used by God. Absolutely. It's got lost. Here's something you're going to have to deal with. The abolition of slavery. Slavery has always been a practice in every empire in every country that has ever existed. If you know any of the border reavers in Scotland, that's the the ones that lived on the border in Galloway, eh, on the border between Galloway and Northumbria and Cumbria. It was said that these people used to go and fight with each other just for recreation. Honestly, they would be at peace for a while, then they'd get a bit fed up, so the jocks would go down into Northumbria or Cumbria, beat up the English, and steal them and bring them back home. It was said after one particularly rumbunctious adventure into Northern England that every Scottish home had an English slave. I'm not paying you any reparations. (laughs) I've got about £3.75 in my pocket. You can split it between you. How's that? But the abolition of slavery uniquely Judeo-Christian it was Christians that seen that the owning of people was wrong. And what about science? I'll leave that for later on. Things have changed. We've always got to bring an unsafe person to the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But we don't understand the fight, brothers and sisters, we don't understand that we've actually got to get people to the point where they will consider a Bible. Because today, the cultural consensus is that the Bible's nonsense. That it's fairy tales. So this is what I want to look at this morning because we're in a fight and it's, a, it's an awful fight. But how do we deal with it? See, in Jude's letter from verses 4 down to about verse 21, Jude actually rails against the people. Now, I'll I'll go through this. He rails against the people. But here's what I want want you to see in in verse 3. See, Jude's letter, I don't believe, is just a letter of warning. Jude's letter is a call to battle. Verse 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith that earnestly contend means wrestle it means stand your ground and fight your corner and this is what we don't grasp believers and there's a reason for it because we've not equipped ourselves for the fight So where do we start from? Do we just go out and rail against the world? Well, I'm actually going to, just in closing, what I'm going to do is look at another two verses in this book and it'll tell you what the end result should be. But how do we wage war? Because these are war, it's likened unto warfare as a battle. Make absolutely no mistake, it's a battle. But our weapons aren't carnal. We don't go out with sticks. We don't stick a sword under somebody's chin and say, you get to your church or we're going to get you. Our weapons are spiritual. To the tearing down of strongholds. So, look, what I would like us to do as believers this morning is, is... Look at how we can be equipped for the battle. And I want to charge us that we would get involved. And again, I'll give you the reason just in closing. But how do we fight this fight? Look at verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. There's a start point we've got to come at it from a position of absolute humility. Absolute humility. See, the world will reel against you. It'll get abusive, and and it's going to get violent. But we don't render like for like. We don't render evil for evil. We render good for evil. We bless them that curse us. We do good to them that despitefully use us. We come from a position of humility and you can see that in this opening uh, sentence from Jude. Because he says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, there's a number of Judes in the Bible. There's about four Jameses in the Bible. But what they tell us is, is that the probab- probability is, is that Jude and James of the half-brothers of Jesus. And this is where the humility comes in. Because we see both in James and Jude that none of them step forward and said, I'm Jesus, he's half-brother. You do what I'm going to tell you. Do you know where the humility came in from, for Jude and James? The fact that when they were grown up with Jesus and he started his earthly ministry, they mocked him along with everybody else. They had no time for Jesus. Jude nor James were never saved until after Jesus Christ was resurrected. So see that person that we are facing, that we are seeking to bring before the Lord, to the Lord, and they might be giving you stick, and I'll I'll, I'll tell you, how they operate just as we go on through the, the, the verses but as, as that person that's, that's standing there and giving you stick here's what's going to settle your heart we were there one time ourselves. none of us come out of the woman went mummy save me I want to be saved bring me to Jesus Some of us may have been saved as children and lived a life for the Lord. God bless you. I didn't. There was a time when I thought there was nothing funnier than a Christian. How incredibly tedious to be a Christian. Can't get blitzed. You can't get stoned. You can't do this. You can't do that. So we've got to understand that that when we come before people, we were at one time just like them. And Jude goes on, he says, uh, brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. You are saved by God and you are kept by God. This is going to sink in because the flesh gets up. They're, 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 you listen to some of the folks and the abuse that they're giving people and if you let the flesh take over you would happily go in and give them a living Christianly clip in the ear. We don't do that. That's us. Because Christ never reeled again. Christ never lifted his hand to anybody. But what will keep us in humility is the full and absolute knowledge that we are set apart, that separated, that sanctified. God set you apart. You didn't set yourself apart. God, when he saved you, separated you from your sin, from the punishment of your sin, from the power of sin in your life. You haven't done it. God's going to keep you. Your home in heaven is guaranteed. But you're kept by the power of Jesus Christ. And see, these are things that we have no control over. That's done for us. But look at what he puts in there. Just uh, the last word in the first verse. Called. That's very interesting. Do you know that when God saved you, you put a call on your life. Now it depends who you are. See if you're if you're unsaved. If you're not a Christian this morning, uh, I'm going to share the the call that is on your life as an unsaved person. And I'm going to look at Isaiah chapter one. There's just a. See, it's not that if you're unsaved, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, it's not that there is a call on your life because God has no control over your life. You are a law unto yourself. There's nothing you can do for God if you're outside of Christ. But there is a call. God is calling out to you. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18 Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God's calling out to you if you're unsaved. But the responsibility rests in your shoulders. Look at verse 19. If ye be willing and obedient. That's the responsibility on your shoulders. God isn't going to make you get saved. 19 goes on, ye shall eat of the good of the land. And here's the caveat, here's the warning. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with a sword for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. There are consequences for the decisions that we make. But make no mistake, if you're unsaved, God is calling out to you. But if you are saved, then God has put a call in your life. God has called you to holiness. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, be ye holy, for I am holy. Does that mean we've got to be perfect? We've got no, there's nobody perfect. There's about two or three people in Scripture that don't have sin registered against them. I can think maybe of Daniel's the one that, that jumps right out. This be ye holy as I am holy used to kill me. I mean, Roy Clemens had to come and sit me down and say, look, settle there. Eh? Because I know I'm not holy, but here's the thing. Has your life changed since you've got saved? Are there things that you used to like that you no longer like and are there things that you like that you, uh, you used to not like that you now like? Do you enjoy reading your Bible? Do you enjoy start studying the things of uh, the Lord? As God reveals things to you in your life that he wants you to deal with, are we obedient enough to deal with them? That's what be ye holy, for as I am holy is. It's no call to absolute sinless perfection, because we're not going to be there till we get to glory. But it is a call to heed God's moving in your life. So there's a call to holiness. There's a call to testify. First Peter chapter three verse thirteen: Be ready to always give an answer. To any that ask for the reason for the hope that's in you. I know I'm I'm killing these scriptures. But I don't want a Bible study. I want to provoke you to action. I really want you to pick up and, and you sort your life out with the Lord. And decide whereabouts in the fight you stand because we don't all have the same fight. I can claim senior citizenship now. I'm not going in the front line. I'll fling yous young guys. <laughs> well, that's not true. We've all, we're all going to play a part. We're called to, give a, a, to be students of the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. And this is where we are falling down. Because we're readers of the word of God. We enjoy the preaching of the word of God. But we won't be students. And I'll tell you what. That's a huge stumbling block. When we're dealing with the unsaved. Because we don't actually know our Bible. And we cannot reply. This is what the pastor says. We can't. What we need to be able to do. Is say look this is what the Bible says. This is what I hold to be true. This is what I stand on. We are called to be students of the Word of God. And, and I want to extend on that just as we, as we look at verse 3. We're called to service. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And all of the Gospels in the book of Acts calls every single one of us to be involved in some way, shape, or form with evangelization. It's on every every single one of us. We've got evangelists in the church. Yeah, brilliant. You're the evangelist. That's our commission. That is the church's great commission. Go ye into all the world. Why? Do you want to know the impact that the, today's culture is having on people's lives? No, I'm not answering a phone call. I've seen, seen an item in the newspaper the other day and it, and it, it broke my heart. Um, this is where the world's at right at this particular moment in time. This is a an account of a, a young woman, 28 years of age, called Lauren Hove. Now, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. She's from the Netherlands. And here's what it says. An autistic Dutch woman died at home by assisted suicide with her parents and best friend by her side after sharing a harrowing final message on her online, to her online followers. Lauren Hove from the Netherlands was diagnosed with ME, which is also referred to as Chronic Fatigue Syndrome in 2019. Over the past five years, the YouTube book blogger, of course she is, battled extreme exhaustion, which left her bed bound. She also began to experience post-exertional malaise, PEM, where she would struggle with extreme nausea, pain and fatigue, which she described as absolute torture on Twitter or X. In 2022, Lauren, who was also diagnosed with ADHD, began documenting her journey to euthanasia. Assisted death has been legal in the Netherlands for the past 22 years. Earlier this month, Lauren told her 7,800 Twitter followers, my last day will be Saturday, January the 27th. The euthanasia will happen between 1.30 and 2.30. Now this is the paragraph that really got me. She wrote on her blog, I choose, I choose to make the date and time public because you have all been so excited for this moment with me. I know from experience how supportive it can be to know when it is happening that so that you can reflect for a moment, or light a candle, if you wish. On January twenty seventh, Lauren, who passed away at home, signed off her account by sharing a meme with her followers. If you don't know what a meme is, ask somebody that Disney shave yet. One of these young guys, <laughs> they all know. Here's what she done in her meme. This will be my last feat. Thanks for the love, everyone. I'm going to rest a bit more and be with my loved ones. Enjoy a last morbid meme from me. She then posted a meme featuring a toddler wearing sunglasses and giving the thumbs up to the camera as a doctor smiles beside them with the caption, me getting euthanized. If you see the picture, it's just a wee smiling baby doing that with a pair of sunglasses. So cool. Here's the thing. We have a sister in Christ that deals with exactly the same situation. What's made the difference? I'll tell you where it is. I know because I asked her mother to ask her and she said Christ. See, dealing with long-term illness is a real problem. It defeated me physically, emotionally. I was beat. But then I came to Psalm 27, which is a lovely psalm. But verse 14 says, and this is what Christians learn who are dealing with real struggles in life. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait I say on the Lord. Christ makes a real difference in life. This isn't an argument. About how what we do with our Sundays. This isn't a social club. We're in a fight. We're in a genuine battle. And it's not for right or wrong. It's for the souls of men and women. And we're not equipped for it. See, one of the driving forces, why should we get involved? Look at verse 2 in Jude. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Here's why we should be in the fight because we have known God's mercy in our life. And the world needs God's mercy because what you've got to understand when God exerts his wrath on sin, there is no mercy, mercy's finished. And here's what God's mercy brings. It brings peace. It settles the heart. God's not going to make everything go away. God's not going to make everything rosy in the garden. But God will settle our heart when we're in it. And that includes if we get involved in the fight. Because this fight's got to be fought in the strength of Christ. We can't do it under our own steam. We can't do it in our own flesh because we'll get it wrong. And then in verse 3, and this is what sort of got me about this. Look at verse 3 in Jude. Beloved, when I I gave all diligence to uh, write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me. You understand that the the book of Jude that we have isn't the book that Jude wanted to write. Jude wanted to write of our common salvation. Everything that we've got in common is in God. I'm sure that Jude was actually wanting to write quite a nice letter about being a Christian and the things of being a, uh, and the things of God. How that all of these different people from all sorts of different backgrounds, can all get together with one purpose. See, that, that common salvation, thats actually a picture of the Godhead. Because what we have is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, all complete individuals. See, there's nobody. Christianity goes arrive and it starts telling people how they must live their life. Here's what Christians are called to do. What does the word of God say about that? But as you're all individuals, you're gathered together in one body. As as God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are individuals, they are are one person in a Godhead. We're a body of believers. You hurt one of us, we all hurt. And you'll see that in prayer meetings. It's one of the wonderful things about believers that, that, that people around the world will pray for a cause, for believers but Jude's original purpose was to write of their common salvation but it was needful bad people had crept into the congregation and Jude had to deal with it and here's what what he says halfway through it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Well, let's look at this idea of the faith. What is the faith? No, it's it's mentioned, you'll find it right, particularly right through your New Testament. Look it up yourself. But the faith is this body of work. This isn't talking about placing our faith in Christ and being saved. It's about this sixty six books that we call a Bible. That's the body of faith. That is this faith. The doctrines that we hold to and the beliefs that we hold and the practices that we have. You have to fight for your Bible. From Genesis to Revelation. The problem is we're not equipped to earnestly contend. That's on us completely because God has given us everything that we need he's given us the word of God he's given us pastors and preachers and teachers who are able to open the word of God but do you understand now get this sorry about this my brother do you know who this man is he's a teaching aid to help you get from believer to disciple Now, they're gifted of God, it's an office of God, they're called of God, they're enabled of God, and a pastor does have several functions. (coughs) Excuse me. There is a number of aspects to the office of pastor. He's got to ensure that you have a good diet. Feed my sheep. He's got to ensure that you have a A wide, broad range of the the full counsel of God. But he can't make you students. He can't make you disciples. He can't make you evangelize. That's on us. And we're not equipped for the fight. And it's because we don't fully understand the argument. Because today, we, start, we are still thinking that we can just open a Bible. But if you look at how missionaries operate in an unchurched uh, land with unchurched people, they don't open a Bible and run through the Romans' road. What they've first got to do is, is get these dear souls to actually contemplate that there is a creator God. And they're starting Genesis. You don't start in Matthew. What I'm talking about, really, apart from being students of the Bible, there's more to it than that. What we need to do is get get a, a grasp of apologetics. Apologetics sounds very clever. Do you know all it actually means? It means to give a reasoned argument. That's all. Because you know that people have reasonable questions that they have every right to ask. Why did my granny die of cancer? If God's a good God, why did my granny die of cancer? Why was my son, 18 years of age, killed in a car crash? Why was my daughter raped? Why is there war? If God's good, how, why does he allow evil in this world? The Bible was written by hundreds of different people over lots of years. It's been copied over and over again. There's got to be mistakes in it. Do you actually know where your Bible came from? Do you actually know how your Bible was put together? Do you you realize that, that these ancient documents that this book is put together in the King James Version that we have in our hands, they understand that it meets all the criteria in spades for authenticating ancient documents. They understand that, that your Gospels aren't fairy tales, they're eyewitness accounts, they're witness testimony. We need to get a grasp of apologetics. And there's Christians out there who will help you with apologetics. The Answers in Genesis website, the Creation Ministries website. See, the the big thing we fear is somebody coming up and saying, well, science and evolution has disproved the Bible. They actually understand how paper's thin. The theory of evolution is? Do you actually understand it? If you're even slightly aware of life and how it came about, evolution falls to bits. We've got big atheists that will speak out, the Richard Dawkins, the Ricky Chavez, and I'm not picking on those men because they're lost men. They have no interest in the things of God. And the only thing that's going to get them interested in the things of God is actually God himself. He's going to have to open their eyes. But see, when you listen to these people, they never ever produce argument. They never produce facts. They never produce any reason. Do you know what our modern atheism does? It laughs at us. It uses ridicule. And you know that's actually enough to stop the vast majority of Christians right in their track? Because we don't want laughed at. But see if you can get beyond that and you can produce a reasoned argument. Then you can overcome that. Evolution falls in tatters when you face it down. Resist the devil and he'll flee. There's debunked TV which is actually geared more towards this generation. Because the truth is, if you don't get somebody's uh, attention in five or 10 seconds, you've lost them. But Debunk TV with Carol Kirby actually tells us how to argue our case. And it's not that we learn what they say and then repeat it. That isn't it. They actually give us the means whereby we can stand our ground and give a reasonable argument. Frank Turek, William Lane Craig, John Lennox. John Lennox is a Emeritus Professor of Mathematics at Oxford University. John Lennox can tell you that mathematics has proved that it, it proves beyond any doubt that Darwinian evolution is nonsense. James Tours. James Tours is a, a, an organic chemist. And James Tours deals with the origin of life. Where did life come from? Because evolution has no answer for it. In fact, there's about half a dozen miraculous things need to happen for evolution to be true. You never hear James Tours mention the Bible. I mean, you've no idea what this guy's done. He, he, he works at a nano level in the body. And do you see the human cell? No, we're made up of trillion human cells. Do you know that human cells, a single cell, has got machinery in it? And I mean machinery with wheels and grab arms inside a cell that you cannot see with your naked eye. Phenomenal. And you'll find that these guys who are apologists, they're Christian apologists, very rarely cite the Bible. Because they understand they've got to get people to the Bible. They've got to get people to realise that this is a serious book. But if we're going to do that, we've got to understand things like where our Bible came from, how it was put together, what evidence that we've got. Ricky Gervais's big thing is... Uh, There's 2,999 gods that Christians don't believe in. I just don't believe in one more. That makes sense? No, here's the difference. And this is where, where the evolutionists, they refuse point blank to make distinctions. Here's the difference. The Christian has evidence that his Bible is trustworthy. But we've got to be equipped for the fight, guys. We have got to be equipped for the fight. Now, why do we get equipped for the fight? Why on earth? Uh, I'm just going to close in verse 21 of Jude. And I just want to close with the last sort of last couple of verses. Jude... Uh, Verse 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And here's the thing, here's the outworking of the battle, here's the outworking of answering the call in our lives. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Jude wrote these verses after railing against these very same people. See, we can be horrified at the world, but really we need to be heartbroken for the lost. I can only leave this with you. Because where you stand and how you deal with God's work, uh, God's Rule in your life, and that is the proper—that is the proper term. That's for you to decide. Brothers and sisters, the, the battle for good and evil's won. Christ will ultimately ultimately triumph. But we've got—we've got to snatch people from the fire. And if we're going to snatch people from the fire, we've got to be equipped for the fight. I'll hand back the Pastor for you.